What you drinking? I'm having a nice cup of Irene tea. I don't like tea. But this one will provide you a little bit of nostalgia. It's family owned and operated in Indiana. Well, let me try some of that. Oh, that's pretty good. Where'd you get it from? I went to IraneTea.com and in a few clicks, it was at our front door. I had to talk to you and loosen you up a little bit. Now you're ready to go. <laughs> you got it. Yes. And welcome to the Here's... Keeping the Nostalgia Alive show. I am your host, Billy Powell. Today with us is a former Major League Baseball player, Mike Lacoste, who played for the Cincinnati Reds, the Houston Astros, the Kansas City Royals, and San Francisco Giants, and also was an all-star in the 1979 season. Uh, before I introduce Mike, i just like on a side note to say that uh, my grandfather, Ritma, who passed away uh, this past year, took me to over 200 ball games in Indianapolis, Indiana, to the Indianapolis Indians, which was the AAA farm team for the Cincinnati Reds. And I just remember um, uh, the day that he, first game that I went to, Mike Lacoste was the starting pitcher. So, Mike Lacoste, thank you so much for spending and taking a little bit of time out of your busy schedule to help us keep the nostalgia alive and talk about your baseball career. <laughs> well, right on, Billy. It only took you forty something years to find me. You know, not bad. But uh, yeah, you know, the Indians, the Indianapolis, what a stadium! I'll never forget. You know, my I have a lot of stories in my uh, year and a half plus, uh, whatever I, time I spent there in Indianapolis. Um, those are those are great great times for me. Um, you know, because I, I, you know, as you know, the Reds at that time were winning World Championships, and so that that spilled over into the, the whole atmosphere and culture of the, I use the word culture now, but that uh, spilled over into the, you know, the minor leagues. And we thought we were, you know, we had our confidence and our chests all puffed out too. And we were winning too. And so the Indianapolis, you know, when I got to Indianapolis and uh, it, uh, it just brings back a lot of the, a whole bunch of stories. I don't know. I don't know how much time we have Billy, but <laughs> I don't know where you want to start, but, Take it away. Well, well, well let's start. Let, I, I, I want to hear some of those stories from Indianapolis, of course, since I was born and raised there. But uh, let, let's go back to Glendale, California. And, you know, when's the first time that you picked up a baseball? Who were some of the baseball uh, players that you looked up at the time? And was baseball the only sport that uh, you could have uh, succeeded professionally at? Well, we're going to have to bypass Glendale. I was just born in the hospital across the freeway. <laughs> so that's kind of irrelevant, but uh, no, as a as a youngster growing up in uh, Southern California, um, you know the first sport that I learned to play was football, and I played football as a youngster, and I could throw it. You know, I could throw the football; it just came naturally. And then I I started playing basketball, and I really loved basketball, and because you know you could shoot on your own, and I could spend a lot of time out there in the driveway, you know, and or down at the street at my buddy's house, and we'd shoot and shoot and shoot, you know, and and then we played, you know, tackle football, you know, after, after school and over at the church on the weekends, you know, and and uh, and then one day I was about ten, and uh, I wanted to I wanted to try baseball, and I I went out, and uh, I was the first I got put on the minor league team, you know, and I went out and I was the first kid at practice, just you know, and they asked me what position I played, and, uh, and I said uh, I have no idea, I've never played before and they said well come on over here we need pitchers and so they took me out to the mound and says okay wind up and throw one over there to coach coach billy over there and uh i said i don't have what do you mean wind up they said well let's go ahead and throw it and so i reared back back and i fired one in there and these guys said oh really uh yeah let's show you a little wind up here you know so i became a pitcher that day and uh 
kind of rest is, you know, history, but that's, that was the start of it. You know, and I grew up at ironic, a lot of ironic things happened in my, <laughs> I grew up, you know, as a Dodger fan, I absolutely, and to this day, I still, uh, just, I can't get over the, the, the sound and the, the experiences I've had with Vince Scully. You know, you'd think I was going to name a player right there, didn't you? Yeah. No, Vince Scully was the one that really sucked me into baseball and, and I uh, still, and then here, here I am starting a big league career uh, and I get to, uh, I'm going to start a game against the Dodgers. My first start in Dodger Stadium as a Cincinnati Red and I go in there and I shut them out. And the next day, so I'm, I'm interviewed by <laughs> Vince Scully, and I, so a lot of things happened, you know. And then I ended up going to the Giants, and of course that was, was a, a major rivalry with the Giants and the Dodgers and so forth. But uh, that's that's where it kind of started for me. You know, I went through every level of my of the uh, minor league levels with the Reds, and started in Billings. I was drafted out of uh, out of high school, you know, and I. I went to Billings and just in Tampa and, and then I uh, had a, a year there in double A and in Canada and, and, uh, and then, you know, worked my way up the next year to Indianapolis. And I think uh, about the time you started watching those, those games, you know, and I was the, you know, I was the pitcher of the year in uh, 1977. I came back and, and uh, for my second year, I was, I thought I might have a chance to make the, the club, you know, out of spring training, went down to the like four days we left, and Sparky called me in. And he goes, you know, it's like sit down, you know. And I go, he goes, you know why you're in here? And I go, yeah, I know, you know. <laughs> and so he says, well, you know, you're. He says you made it really tough on us, you know. And he goes, so you're going to have to go down there now and force us to bring you up, you know, and really get with it. And I said, oh, okay, you know. And so I went down there, and I was starting my second year at Indianapolis. I don't know if that that was 1978, about the time. Billy, you uh, appeared on the scene, and I was having a terrific year in AAA, and, and Billy Bonham got hurt, and um, I got the call, and so then I ended up, after that day, I, I ended up spending, you know, about, you know, parts of the 14 seasons in, in the big leagues and had a little bit of success, and like you said, I did pitch in an all-star game as a red, but I pitched in the playoffs again as a giant in 1978, and then again in 89, and, you know, was on the National League Championship team with the Giants and uh, got swept in. It was the earthquake, you know, Bay Bridge series. And but anyways, it was a, a pretty good run. And now, you know, I'm involved in. Uh, I have uh, the reason you called me, I believe, is because uh, you see that I, I have a, uh, a multimedia, uh, you know, website, and uh, you know, we we develop content, produce content, and uh, we're doing very well. You know, and I have a. I have a very large uh, building audience and presence out there. And so uh, that's where I am. This guy, baseballchannel.com. And you can go to our homepage, and we've produced over 100 feature video uh, stories on all different kinds of uh, baseball personalities from you know, high school coaches uh, up to Hall of Famers and owners, you know, Bob Lurie, Peter McGowan, you know, Johnny Bench. I've got those are all on there, and then we also do a weekly audio and video podcast uh, every week to stay current. But, uh, we're getting ready to launch some new stuff here for the off season, and some of the things we do are like I'm doing right now. Talk to guys like you. You, you know, it's interesting yeah. you say that because I went to I went to your website, and that was a, uh, a very good one on Johnny Bench, one of my uh, uh, baseball heroes growing up as a kid. Well, did you watch all four parts? Uh, I, well, I just got the first part in because uh, we wanted to get this taken care of, and uh, I was excited about chatting with you. So I'll watch the uh -huh. other three parts a little bit later. You'll enjoy part four now. You'll enjoy. I think you'll enjoy part four. It's pretty funny. It tells a very funny story in there, and that's why it's called the parade. Okay. And then you actually hear Johnny and I singing together a little bit at the end. You don't. <laughs> you don't see us. You get to hear us singing and me playing the guitar. That's what that segment ends with. So that's right. It's quite a bonus. What was it like, and you and is it different today? What was it like when you did get drafted? I mean, were, were you kind of scared? Were you? Uh, did you have other places that you could have gone, or could you have gone to and pitched in college? Uh, what was that like? Yeah, it's quite a bit different, actually. Uh, you know, there was no technology, and the communications were, uh, you know, phone lines, and scouts did not have radar guns until right at the end 
uh, right right around that time is when the radar gun. So this is not even something wooden bats all the way until my senior year in high school, and then they finally came out with these comp- like composite aluminum bats. That was a that was a thing that happened during that time. So there was not a lot of information. I had to go into my baseball coach slash biology coach Shaws, and I said, Shaws, I said, am I going to get drafted? And he goes, he goes, well, yeah. And I go, really? I, he goes, why didn't you tell me? He goes, well, I just, you know, we're just, he's like, well, we're focusing on our season here, you know? And I said, well, I know that, but thanks for telling me. And so when he told me that, it started uh, kind of, you know, it was on my mind. And then within a few days, I went into my counselor's office and I changed my whole, because yes, I did have some other options. Uh, Jackie Jensen recruited me heavily out of high school and wanted me to come play baseball at Cal and because I did have some good grades and math and science stuff and and then I had some basketball offers at West Texas State University uh, and some stuff uh, just getting in the hopper with Stanford and uh, I signed a letter of intent to uh, go to Fresno State and some other stuff and but then one day I just woke up and I said no I'm going to go for it I'm going to get drafted. I'm going to go for it because I may not get another chance to play pro ball. So I walked into my counselor's office and revamped all my classes and I didn't need anything to really graduate with. I'd already been all, you know, I was really going at it, you know, and with the school and stuff and, uh, two sports, you know, I played basketball and, and baseball and, I uh, just decided one day that I was going to just, you know, do whatever I had to do just to graduate, but I was really going to kind of focus on what I was doing out there on the baseball field, and I threw five consecutive shutouts in a row, and the sixth one was a no-hitter. They scored an under and runoff, and so I, I, I got scouts' attention, you know. I, was, I had another couple of – fortunately, there was a couple other good players around, one of them on my team, uh, drafted in the second round by the Padres. So the scouts were coming around, and then – you know, they just happened to notice me. I was just this guy that kind of came on, you know. I moved here as a freshman, and they were already looking at a couple of these guys. And I didn't know any, I didn't know too much about the scouting and pro ball. I didn't really know too much about that. I was pretty naive. And then, uh, and then, like I said, all of a sudden, uh, I'll never forget, I was, uh, we were up on the stage. Uh, we were doing our rehearsal for graduation in the uh, the word came through the phone lines into the school somehow, and they, they tracked us down, and we were over at the Con- Visalia Convention Center. It thought, must have been 10 o'clock or 10.30 in the morning uh, in June 1974, and there, the draft was going on, and they came in to tell one of my teammates and myself that we'd both been drafted, he in the second round by the Padres and me in the third round by the Reds. And so, you know, a couple of weeks later, I was packing my bags and flying to Billings, Montana. And yes, I was nervous. <laughs> what were those first well, couple? What, what were those first couple of years like on your trip to get to Indianapolis? Well, I had a rough start in football um, until I decided uh, or figured out one day. Because remember, there's no there's no coaches at every team. You had a manager, and then there was a couple of roving instructors that came around. And, went and traveled with you for a week or so, and then they were gone. And then there was weeks would go by, and there was just the team and the manager. So you're doing a lot of this stuff on your own, you know, and you're getting advice from maybe some players or whatever friends you, you develop. But you're on your own. you got to figure stuff out or maybe just work on the stuff that, that you got while the, while the instructor was there. Our pitching instructor was Scott Breeden. There was another instructor, uh, Brooks Lawrence, but Brooks kind of held close to Cincinnati, and he – he would pretty much spend time at, at Indianapolis and uh, didn't come around double A or A ball too much. And so therefore I, one day I just, uh, you know, figured some stuff out and I became a sinker ball pitcher. And once I did that, I started having, uh, some success until I went to my first spring training in Tampa, uh, 1975 and about a week in the spring training, I developed what you'd now consider a dead arm syndrome where you don't know what's going on. Your velocity has gone from 92 to 82. And I'm not exaggerating. Uh, just, you're, you know, you're, you're thinking, okay, I just can't, you can't throw anymore. And it's a very strange feeling. And I got really roughed up 
during a period of time in spring training and uh, to the point where I walked off the mound after being taken out. I uh, gave up nine runs in two-thirds of an inning. And I came, I, I walked off the field and over to Scott Braden. I said, I'm going to get released, aren't I? And he's like, he just looks at me and goes, go over there and do your running. <laughs> you know? And uh, so I, I went, yeah, all right. And so I, you know, I, I, uh, I drug my wounded self over to the thing. You know, I did my running and stuff. And then this kind of continued on the end of the season, off and on and off and on. I was really struggling. I was like three and eight. So I, but I made the team. They kept me on that Tampa team. That's what the Reds did. They kept people together. I was a prospect, so they had to, they had to stay with me and give me a chance. They had that big money invested in me, you know, twelve thousand dollars. <laughs> and uh, they, uh, so they, they're pushing me and pushing me. And uh, I was three and eight with about a five ERA, really struggling in the Florida State League. And then all of a sudden, and I have to this day, I have no clue what happened. Uh, I started a night game over in Winter Haven against Bob Stanley, the Red Sox. And we had acquired an, a veteran, like an older guy. you got to remember, I'm 19 years old, and we acquired this catcher out of Texas. I mean, this guy's like 23, and he's already got, he's got a wife and two kids, you know. So we're like, where'd you get this old man at, you know? Uh, Dave Woolley was his name. Great guy, super nice guy. But, but a real calming-type personality, which really... Uh, uh, you know, set well with us youngsters out there, but something happened that night and I went down and I started warming up and all of a sudden the ball's just coming out of my hand. Like, like, wow, are you kidding me? He stands up after the fourth pitch and says, pops off to me. Like, like what the hell got into you? <laughs> you know, I said, I didn't really say much, you know, I just kind of, I just was kind of blown, blown away by what was happening in the first place. Uh, long story short, I went out and I threw a, a one hit shutout against one to nothing shutout against Winter Haven that night. And I proceeded to mop up the Florida State League after that. I, 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 uh, tied for the league lead and shutouts. I went through a, a 30 plus 33 and a third inning stretch where I didn't walk anybody, uh, like tied a Florida State League record at the time, something like that. So I got on a real good roll. Uh, of course, it carried over into Double A. We wanted to, we played in the playoffs in '75 in Tampa against a real good uh, Cardinal team, uh, and then we we got in the playoffs again. Got a really good team in Double A, and you know I had some success up there. I did have a real I had a two month stretch where I got no run support. I might have won 20 games. I'm not kidding. We did have a 20 game winner in the league uh, with the Expos up there in Quebec City, and. Uh, Anyways, uh, had some success there in Double A, and then I was uh, rewarded and put on the major league roster. And so the next year, uh, you know, I I went to my first big league uh, spring training, and uh, and of course after a couple of weeks, uh, they got tired of giving me the meal money, and down I go to the Indianapolis Indians. So that's where I am, you know, at that point. And Triple uh, A ball was a, was an eye opener because at the time, the American Association had a lot of crafty veteran players in it you know there was you know you're only talking about 24 teams back then and uh, there was guys that were you know had been in triple a for four five six seven eight years been up and down had some couple two or three years big league time these guys were no joke if you made mistakes to them they hurt you and uh, you got it was a you know it was kind of an eye-opener that first year in triple a ball i managed to win 10 games though double figures and uh you know i got roughed up but i learned I learned some stuff, and like I said, I went back uh, 1978, and then I started dominating uh, the league. I was leading the league in quite a few categories at one point in time, if you look. And uh, then, like I said, I got a call. It I actually got, I, I actually got mad at my manager Roy for Matika for calling me so early in the morning because I thought he was doing a room check, and I was. I was really pissed. <laughs> I was sound asleep, you know. It was like I didn't even I didn't say hello. I knew it was him. I just picked the phone up and I said, "Come on, Roy, are you kidding me?" And he's like, <laughs> "That's how I answered the phone." It's three o'clock in the morning in Oklahoma City, you know, in the motel out there, out there by the freeway, you know. And uh, he's like, "Well, I'd just like to inform you." And I go, "Are you serious?" And he goes, "Yeah, I'm serious." And he goes, "I'm informing you." 
that you're going to have to pack your bags and get on a plane and go to Cincinnati at 7 a.m., so you better get rolling. And I like, okay, thanks. <laughs> I, I hung up the phone, you know. And uh, was there anybody you called after getting the call, you know, to go to the show? Well, I had, yeah, I had, to, I had to call who is now my been my wife for 35 years. Yeah, I had to call her because she she had stayed back. Uh, she was in Indianapolis, and so she had to get organized. And somehow, I think she went home. So I sent her home to Pittsburgh, and then I ended up going to Cincinnati. And then uh, she met me there from Pittsburgh to Cincinnati, and I was only there for a couple of days and went on a first road trip, and I made my Major League debut as a starting pitcher in uh, in Montreal. And who was the first batter that you faced? In that game or the first game in the big – see, what happened was <laughs> – and I didn't give up very many. You can look at my career, but I – so I, I, I show up to the, the ballpark, and we're playing Montreal. And uh, I I come out there on the bench, and Sparky calls me over. And he goes, hey. He goes, I have an idea. And I said, what? And he says, he goes, he goes now, this is an option. Of course, I'm not going to say no, you know. <laughs> he goes, do you want to go put your, he goes, you want to go put your spikes on? And if I get a chance, then I'll give you an inning or so just to kind of get wet under the ears, you know, get kind of get ready for your, your start. Uh, you know, you know, when you're, you know, cause I'm supposed to start in like three days. Okay. So I go, yeah, sure. I was never really pitched out of the bullpen before, you know, I've been a starting pitcher my whole time. So I hustled down the stairs up in there and I get all my protective gear on and my, my spikes and, I go rolling down in there, and sure enough, I was actually hoping it didn't happen. You know, <laughs> I didn't want. I didn't want. To, I, I was a little nervous about coming out of the bullpen. You know, but we ended up, you know, getting behind uh, a little bit and uh, come down to it. And he's like, "Does you want to go out and you know pitch the seventh inning?" I go, "Yeah, okay." You know, so he goes, "All right, go on down." So I go warm up, and here I come. I come out there, and it's, you know, here I am. I'm making, I'm making my major league debut, and. You know, Johnny Bench is behind the plate, and uh, wow. Pete's at third, and Davies at short, and wow. Joe's at second. The only one gone is Tony Perez, and Danny Dreesen's at first, and the outfield is Foster, Geronimo, and Griffey. And so I've, I'm not, you know, remember, I've already been in spring training with these guys, so I'm not, it's not like I don't know them a little bit. So I, anyways, I come rolling. I know Johnny, you know, of course, I've pitched to him in spring training quite a bit, gone fishing with him and all kinds of stuff already. So I, okay. So I walk out there, and the first hitter I face has been a guy that I already faced, and, and you know everywhere, and it's Andre Dawson. Oh my and gosh. We've had our yeah, we've had our battles, you know. And the, uh, the hawk comes out there, come out there, and I and you remember, I'm pumped up, and I'm feeling good now, and I wing, I I wing a you know my power sinker ball in there, boom, strike one. Another sinker, he, he Johnny, you know, wiggle a finger. I whip another one in there, boom, strike two. And he wiggles another one in there, and, and I kind of looked in there, and I thought, yeah, I shook him off. And he kind of hesitated and looked at me, and he gave it to me again, and I shook him off again, and he hesitantly, I could see him, it was like you were trying to force the extra finger to come out of there. Two fingers showed up. And I shook my head, yes. And I proceeded to hang a curveball, and he, he, he whacked it and hooked it. Low line drive, I mean real low. Hooked it and it's hooking, and it hits the it hits the net, the foul pole net right above the wall. It's a home run, and I'm not kidding. Six inches above the wall, right on the net, right on the foul line. Hooked it. So he gets. He gets well, that was my major league debut, the first hitter I faced, and I only gave up a total of 99 home runs in over 1600 innings. Okay, over 14 14 seasons. So I I was able to keep the ball. In the ballpark after that, that was just a, you know, just a little wake-up call. And then here comes Johnny with the new ball from the home plate umpire, <laughs> Doug Harvey. And uh, comes rolling out there with the new ball, and he just walks up to me and looked at me and can't put the ball out to hand it, you know, and drop it in my glove. And he just looked at me and went, curveball, huh? <laughs> and I, did, I didn't say anything. I just... Took the ball and turned around, and he walked off. <laughs> and then, you know, so that was my my real major league debut. But I I kind of my 
I count my one in Montreal as a starting pitcher. I went in, went up to Montreal on the road and I faced Ross Grimsley and I shut the Expos, a hard hitting Montreal Expos team at the time. I shut them down on and uh, got my first big league hit that night and drove in and drove in a run. Ellis Valentine tried to throw me out at first base, if you can believe that. He must have thought I was dogging it going down the line. I did have to pick up the pace a little bit, though, and shift gears. And then he'd stand out there laughing at me. <laughs> He's like, yeah. He goes, you better run out here, son. This is big league. <laughs> Mike, before before we get to uh, you going to the Houston Astros, can you just yeah. tell, you know, th- there's, there's books you read, Pete Rose books, Johnny Bench books, Sparky Anderson's book. Uh, there's all those things that you read and you see everything on TV, but, but what were, you know, as, as briefly as you would like, or as long as you would like, what was Sparky and Pete and, and uh, uh, Johnny, what were they like as real people? Uh, you mean all these guys, individual personalities? We'll have to do that on another show because I, I, I just, you know, I'll start with Sparky and I don't want to get too long here, but you know, Sparky was a, a you know, big league managers are are motivators, you know, and they're babysitters and they're uncles and they're dads and they're they're all these guys. And at some point in time, you know, Sparky after winning the two World Series, you know, he was to the point where he's like, you know, I don't and he would say this in the interviews. He goes, You know, I don't do too much now. He goes, I he goes, Me and Sugar me and Shugs, you know, we make out the lineup and we just kinda like let these guys play. He goes, I make the pitching changes, or we do the pitching changes, and that's about it. He goes, well, do my, you know, Johnny and these guys, they're running, the, they're running the, the, the game out there. He goes, I just sit back and watch. He goes, I got the easiest job in baseball right now. He, he was a good guy. You know, I had a, he, was a, he was wonderful to me as a young player. Um, you know, he's like, he wanted me certain days. He'd go, I want you to sit down here right next to me today you know, during this game and I did stuff like that, you know, and then all kinds of stuff. He was, uh, he was really good for me. It's too bad. It was only the one year, you know, and, you know, and that, of course, we're getting to the point now where if you want to talk about Houston, it was the whole, it was actually the, you're talking about the demise, the, the breakdown, the dismantling of the big red machine. And it was done by Dick Wagner and, it started off, you know, you know, by uh, basically letting Pete go, uh, some contract stuff with some of the other guys. Uh, they started doing this and doing that, and I ended up being a guy that they just, you know, I I had a little bit. Uh, I, I was trying to get through an injury. I never back then you didn't they didn't care, you know, you didn't. Well, I had a I had a, a very difficult injury uh, bother me and caused me some problems. Um, and then we went on strike and then we came back from that 50 day strike. Uh, I was put in the bullpen for like the first time and then things just kind of spiraled downhill, uh, for me there, even though I went to spring training in 19, I, I went into the office and talked to Dick Wagner in the middle of the winter and we discussed, you know, things that were going on with me and this and that. And he, he stood there and looked me in the eye and said, okay, well, you know, I said, yeah, I said, I'll be in shape really good shape i feel this is getting better and i'll show you you know i'll have a good spring for you you know not messing around and i did and they still he still continued to break the team up and he put me on waivers and i was one of the first players ever claimed off of waivers back then this wasn't a real common thing for a player to go through that and so the kind of devastating thing though that they they tried to pull on me was the was just a few days left in spring training when they did this so now I was, I'm just out walking around basically with no team. And fortunately, Ray Knight was having breakfast with Al, near Al Rosen somewhere. And of course, you know, baseball guys back then, we read the box scores. That's all there was. Studied those box scores, man. Who's hot, who's not, you know, who's doing what. Trades, transactions. And Ray Knight is the one that noticed that I that the Reds had put me on waivers. And I just I just seen Ray a few days before this. And in fact, he just faced me <laughs> a few days early before this. So he goes up to Al Rose and he says, "Hey Al, did you see that the Reds put Michael Lacoste on waivers?" He went, "No, really, this morning." And he, so they grabbed, looked, and sure enough. And so what happened was, 
I had already gone, I had made a few calls to try to make a club. So I'd scheduled a day where I drove from Tampa to Sarasota, and I was supposed to go out and pitch at 9 o'clock in the morning on the big league mound for the manager of the White Sox, who at that time was Tony LaRusa and his staff. And then, so on top of this, I get a call from Al Rosen, the, the general manager of the Astros, and he's, he says it's okay for me to come over and, and throw a bullpen. Okay, so I, I have to do it in the same day. So I, I get up early in the morning and I drive to Sarasota with my now wife and my, my first child, who's my little, my little son, Michael Jr. He's about a year and a half old. And we drive down to Sarasota. And at 9 o'clock in the morning, I go out to the big league mound. There's no one in the park except the coaches, the catcher, and me. And I throw for 20 minutes. And they say, okay, that's good. And go on in there and take the uni off and take a shower and, and, uh, and, uh, you'll, you know, we'll let you know. And so I come out of there and, and, uh, they say Roland Heeman wants to talk to me, the general manager. So I go in there and say, Roland, real nice guy. And he's like, he's like, oh, kind of overwhelmed. I can tell like baffled and a little bit nervous. He's like, He's this real small guy, a little small, a little, real nice man. And he says, Mike, he goes, uh, he goes, he goes, I want to offer you something right now. He goes, but we've already, it's so late. We've made some commitments to a couple of these young guys. We've got to take a look at them. He goes, would you, would you go to AAA for a couple of weeks until we can make a move? I looked at him. I said, and I see, he didn't know I was going to go throw for the Astros see, later on that day. So I told him basically, no, Roland, I, I have a fear that if I go back to the minor leagues right now, that it may be difficult for me to get back. I said, I said, you can see there's nothing wrong with me. I'm going to see what happens here the next day or so. I don't, I don't know. I, you know, if you don't mind, I'll call you maybe. He goes, yeah, that's fine. He goes, I understand. Shook hands, got in the car and drove over to, to um, back to Winter Haven. The Astros were playing the Red Sox and Nolan Ryan was pitching for the Astros. And I showed up there and uh, Barry gave me a uni and, I put it on. Game was in about the third or fourth inning already. And I go over there and I get my uni and went down to the bullpen. And somebody went down there and told Mel uh, Wright that I was waiting for him in the bullpen. And he come down there and said, "Hey, uh, how you doing, Mike?" And no, oh, good. And he was, he was smoking a cigarette at the time. <laughs> that tells you how that tells you how long ago it was. <laughs> so he says, uh, he says, uh, "You want?" He goes, "You want to throw a little bit?" And I go. He goes, he goes, now there ain't nothing wrong with your arm, huh? He says, they said, somebody said there's something wrong with your arm. And I said, really? I said, I'll show you right now. I said, there ain't nothing wrong with my arm. I said, there might be something wrong with my attitude, but there's nothing <laughs> wrong with my arm. And he started laughing, took a couple drags off his cigarette, hand me a ball. And he goes, all right, go ahead. So I wound up and I threw, I'm not kidding. I threw 10 pitches and he walked to me and he stopped, stopped me. He goes, okay. He goes, that's enough. He goes, he goes, I'll talk to Bill after the game. All right. So now um, I get back into the vehicle, and now we drive back to Tampa. And now it's down to like two days left of spring training. And so the next day, I get a call again from Al Rosen. And he says, I'm going to claim, he goes, I'm going to claim you off waivers. I go, What is that? <laughs> he goes, Well, he goes, I'm going to. He goes, I'm claiming I'm taking, I'm picking up your contract. He goes, you're going to be an Astro and you're joining us tomorrow for opening day. <laughs> wow. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll be there. And so the, you know, I showed up there opening day with my Cincinnati red bags, walked into the Astros <laughs> clubhouse, dropped my bags down and put an Astro union on. I was the 10th man on his staff. Okay. And then I eventually worked my way back into the, you know, and made starts and got into the starting rotation, you know, here and there at the Astros, but never really got some traction with the Astros. My final year, 1984, I, uh, I was really, I really put it together. I'd actually learned two pitches to add to my thing. I, I learned the, I learned the finger up, uh, breaking ball from Don Sutton when I was there. And then I learned Dave Smith's changeup, which was eventually turned into my split finger. 
And let me tell you, Billy, I started, I started getting people out big time, you know, making people look stupid with that split finger to the point where they're checking me thinking I was cheating. And, uh, of course I'm loving that now I'm in their heads big time. I'm thinking I'm Gaylord Perry out there. So <laughs> I, yeah. So I, but then I get hit in the right above the right elbow in the forearm by a line drive and it ruined I could, I was not the same the rest of the season. Although I finished you know, like seven and five, I start, I give up some runs, you know, and my ERA got up to, it went from the twos and stopped, my ERA stopped it right at four, okay? Well, the problem was, now, if you look back at history, this is the, this is the winter when Major League Baseball started colluding on players, the collusion. And the long story short is, I filed for free agency, and no one offered me a contract. No one offered me 10 bucks to play, okay? And here I am, I'm 27 years old in the prime of my career. I'm throwing well, too, man. Big time. And so the history on it is I went through all of the winter without getting an offer. And I literally was lucky uh, and got an invite to Kansas City. Just an invitation. I made their team. I was on their World Series 1985 championship team until August 2nd. Uh, I was in their bullpen. They weren't pitching me at all. I went 20 days one time and never faced a hitter. And I was not the kind of guy that could do that. I had to throw. And I lost my touch. And I came in there again after another strike. We were on a two-day strike. And I think it ended on August 2nd. I came in there and dropped the bags. And the bag hit the ground and they tapped me on the shoulder. Next thing I know, I was going to AAA. The next thing I know, I'm... I'm walking away from the Royals organization. They've, they got nothing for me. I just, they released me and I'm sitting at home watching the Royals play in the world series. And so that winter I'm starting over again. Collusion now is full blown collusion. And it's to the point where the players association are collecting evidence as the players come into New York city depositions. And so now I'm in the same situation, even worse because now I've had a bad year. Although my arm is very fresh, I only pitched 40 innings in 1985. Uh, and so now uh, it's, it's like mid-February. I have no job. And again, I get lucky and I call the San Francisco Giants because I see that the new general manager and the new manager in the forms of Al Rosen and Roger Craig are now come to the Giants. They're going to rebuild I happened to notice that the Giants lost 100 games. I figured, man, if I can't make that pitching staff, I, I shouldn't be in the game. I picked the phone up, and I called Al Rosen, and I got lucky, real lucky. He was actually there and answered the phone that day and talked to me. And the rest is history. I got invited to the Giants uh, camp. I made their team as a, as a number two or three guy in the rotation coming out of spring training. And I won another 50 games as a Giant. You know, and pitched in the playoffs in 87, and the, we were national champ in 89. So I, I, and I did it all hurt, too. I had a torn ACL. I did, well, I pitched the last seven years of my career with a torn ACL. So a lot of people don't know that. But anyway, injuries led to my demise, and so now I'm a techie. I, you know, I'm a, I'm on the internet. I'm a, I'm a curator of, of content, as you can see. And uh, we have a production company. We make our own content, produce it. And uh, so now I'm the I'm the guy that's behind the iBaseballChannel.com. Billy, are you still there? By the way. Uh, uh, oh yes, I am. No, no, I love this. This is this is how this. Oh, works you could have went away. You no, you went away and made a grilled cheese sandwich and came back. Are you <laughs> no, I watched the rest of that Johnny Bench uh, interview. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Mike, yeah. what was what was the did you did you enjoy Houston? Did you enjoy pitching in the dome? And what was your favorite place to pitch? You know the the dome. You had mixed feelings about the dome. It was a it was a really crappy. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a stingy thing. The bowels of the Astrodome. There was there was rats in there the size of big tomcats. We used to think there were cats in there. We got to looking at them with flashlights because we had our wrist we had our wrist rockets in there. We were doing some pest control uh, inside the bowels of the Astrodome, and 
they're like, no, those are rats. And, and we got big lights on them now. And sure enough, we were knocking these things off the I-beam structures up there the size of a Tomcat, you know. And this one thing about the Astrodome, though, you knew you were going to play unless the roof caved in. So with all the rain and all the heat and all that, at least you're going into a, a you know, a controlled environment and you're going to play. But then again, the mound was terrible. We had to make, we had to, me and Frank Lacordy and, and Dave Smith and Bill Dolly and some guys, we went out there one day and we got, we, we, we got tired of it. And we just said, you know what? We called Al upstairs and said, Hey, we're fixing this mound. We're tired of this. This, this thing is terrible. So you will go ahead. And so we fixed our own mound. <laughs> the AstroTurf, though, as you know or may not know, was 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 not real good, no. and uh, there'd be little pieces of glass laying around all the time because the the glass windows at the top where the light came in, just the uh, the expansion and contraction of the design caused little chipping of the glass in those frames, and that broke all the time. And then they'd have a They'd have one of these uh, monster truck venues in there, or they'd have a rodeo inside there. We'd come back from a road trip in the middle of the night, and it's 2 o'clock in the morning. We're going to play that day at, you know, 7. And they're out there with, with uh, they've got the turf ripped up. They've got backhoes out there. They're moving a couple of acres of dirt around. It was a kind of a, <laughs> it was a it was an interesting place to play. I really didn't like playing there, to be honest with you, because you, you're cheated so much on the ground balls, you know, those balls just fly through there. The only good thing about it is the park was a little bit spacious in the outfield until, you know, I used, there were certain hitters, you know, I used to, and that's the way the big leagues is. You get guys for a while, then they get you and it's, you're constantly making adjustments, you know? And so as it turns out, the first few years of my career, I kind of owned Mike Schmidt (laughs) and he did not like, you know, my, my hard sinker. But he, you know, he figured me out one day, and you know, five, six years into it, he he comes into the Astrodome, and I'm comfortable in there. Like I said, it's a pretty good sized park. Although I have seen guys hit just mammoth shots out of there, like you, you you wouldn't imagine. And Mike Schmidt comes up there, and he takes me deep to right center, which is a hell of a poke. And I looked at him, and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And then he did it again <laughs> the same day. In the same game, and now, you know, I'm going back to the drawing board for sure now, you know. So you would have little wake-up calls in there. It was not that great of a place to play. It was very humid. Even though it was 78 degrees in there, you really you really sweat in there. Uh, but like I said, uh, you got to do what you got to do. You got to play where you're wanted or you get the opportunity in the big league. So you just try to make the best of it, and, you know, that's the way it was. Mike, tell us a little bit about your offensive prowess. Tell us about those uh, two consecutive home uh, at bat home runs. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty funny story. I started a game in Candlestick against the uh, rehabilitated Lamar Hoyt, and it was pretty it was pretty obvious from his warm up pitches that day. It was a day game that he did not have very good stuff. So. I think my first time up, I smacked a double off him, drove in a run or something, whatever. He was having a rough time. He was out of there by the fourth inning. We roughed him up real good. But then, like I said, hey, we were the new Giants, and we were we were the real deal. We roughed a lot of teams up, and pretty soon it was like 16 to 1. You know, and, there, and uh, you know, Jerry Coleman, whoever was managing, he's looking for any kind of – anybody can throw to pitch. And it was a pretty funny story because in 1985, one of my teammates was Dane Orge, an outfielder, great guy. And we used to go to dinner and talk about hitting, you know, make fun of each other and this and that. And, you know, all the hitters are always complaining about the pitchers and the pitchers are always complaining about the hitters and so forth. Oh, you got it made. No, you got it made. You only play once every five days. You know, and there's all this stuff going back and forth. So now Dane's on the Padres and here I am on the Giants. And unbelievable! I'm I'm on deck. I'm getting ready to come out and hit me in the in. Uh, Gary comes out. Who's the manager? Might have been Greg Redock. Comes out and and waves in Dane Orge from right field because Dane must have been popping off in there. Yeah, I can pitch, Greg. No problem. I can give you an inning. You know. So <laughs> he comes out there and warms up, and here I come, and he gets behind. 
he comes in there with his little BP fastball, and I knocked the heck out of it, and even into the wind, left center candlestick, and it got out of there, home run. And I'm trotting around there now, and I'm looking at him. I'm between first and second, and, of course, he's off the mound now, picking up the rosin bag. He's frustrated, thinking he looks up at me, and I look over at him, and I said, yeah. I said, you want to pitch, huh? And he's laughing and shaking my head. Said, yeah, you want to pitch, huh? And he's like, yeah, well, sure. And he gave up another one. <laughs> it was funny. So now that was my last at bat that day in an 18 to one victory over the Padres. And of course the whole baseball community overlooked the fact that I tossed a real nice three hitter against him. <laughs> Five days later, I'm in Cincinnati in Riverfront stadium facing Mr. Perfect. Uh, you'll, if you don't know who that is, you better look it up. I'm facing Mr. Perfect, and he gets this. is my first at bat of the gay of the of the day, and he he gets ahead of me, 0 and two, and then he hangs me the Mr. Perfect turnover changeup, <laughs> and I I squared that thing up and drove it out of there in left field. See you later, home run. And that that's and Tom came, Browning you're talking about in Mr. Perfect. That is correct, Billy. Yes, and. And believe it or not, my ne- the next time up, I almost did it again and went foul. I'm not kidding. Was that I kind almost of, took him back to back. Was that, so, kind, yeah, of, I got was that this, kind of bittersweet? I, I, yeah, I just so I got this little, I don't know if it's some sort of a prior record. I'm like the giant, San Francisco Giants pitcher that hit back to in, in consecutive at-bats home runs. That's considered consecutive at-bats. And was it kind of bittersweet or was it kind of a... a did you feel good about the home run off of Browning? Was that did you did you like? Yeah, because they were. Yeah, because I was taking. I was I was living a nightmare with my teammates. I got kangaroo courted to death. They fined me like over a hundred dollars for getting it off the you know an outfielder, and it wasn't legit. And it was gonna it should have an asterisk by it. You better hit another one. And sure enough, I hit another one. I came in there looking for them, and they all gave me the silent treatment. <laughs> yeah. Mike, was there was was there was there an all star? Was there a, a pretty good baseball player that you pretty much owned during your career? And I already told you, Billy. Vin Scully's my idol. <laughs> Period. I played too long and with with too many guys and against many many Hall of Famers. I played with all these guys. You know, Johnny Bench is a is a real favorite. You know, we're we're very good friends though. You know, it's not just always a. Hall of Fame catcher I threw to, but we're, I just talked to him the other day, but, you know, I, I, uh, I look at Johnny as being a, as, you know, one of those, just a raw, talented baseball player, special guy, you know, that's there and probably helped, you know, when I look, when you look back, probably helped quite a bit, you know, having him back there in the beginning, you would imagine. Um, so, yeah. But I played with a lot of pitchers. I learned you learn a lot of stuff. I mean, I played with so many Hall of Fame and against you know Hall of Fame pitchers. I played with Seaver and Sutton and uh, Carlton and the Goose, Quisenberry. You know, played with Mario Soto, um, Nolan Ryan and Joe Necro and a lot of guys. You know. Was, so, is, is there one travel story that you have out of your whole Major League Baseball career that uh, the audience would enjoy hearing? A travel story? Yeah. Were you like life life threatening or something funny? Uh, if you have one of each, that's cool. Well, now wait a minute, Billy. I don't have time now to get out of here. I'm, <laughs> you want me to carry? You want, am I carrying your whole show for the entire week here? Is this a week's worth of stuff, commentary, or what? You know, I have a, I haven't even eaten breakfast yet. I'm starving to death. You're the one. You're, you're making sandwiches and having tea while I'm doing all the work. Oh yeah, I've had two. I'll cheeses. tell you. I'm gonna tell you one more. I'm gonna tell you one more story. It's about. Uh, let's see. Uh, you know, we're gonna go with. Well, when I was with the Giants, what we did was, when you go in, and a lot of teams even do this. We have a routine uh, for the rookies. When we come into Atlanta, um, we do the we we do we paint guys' shoes. And so when I was with the Giants, my first year, I go out there and I'm my first year I roll into camp, you know, and we go through the thing there. And this 
I do know Mike Kruko because I played against him. He, you know, he's with the Cubbies, so he was in. Uh, I played against him in AAA. He was in uh, like Wichita, and I was in Indianapolis. I've known Kruko for a long time. We were talking one day early in spring training there, and we look over, and here comes this real strange-looking character, and he's got cowboy boots on too, you know. <laughs> and so we're looking at this dude, and I said, "Who's that?" And he goes, well, "That's Will Clark." And I go, "Yeah." So like, who's Will Clark? And he goes, oh, that's the number one pick. I go, oh, really? He's <laughs> like, yeah. He's, he's like, well, is he a cowboy? <laughs> he goes, no, nah, he's from, he's from Louisiana. And so he's from the swamps, then, right? He's one of these fake cowboy guys. So we go, yeah. And I said, man, you know, you know what's usually what has happened to him, you know? And he looks at me, he goes, yeah, I know. He goes, so the next day, here he comes with those cowboy boots on again. And now we got to talking to him, you know, and he's just, yeah, you know, he's got this high, squeaky voice. He's as far as being a cowboy as I'm being an astronaut. Just because I played in Houston doesn't mean I'm an astronaut, you know. <laughs> so we decided that his $450 pair of lizard cowboy boots are going to change color like a chameleon. So we put we we put green spray paint on those babies and put them right back in his locker. The whole the entire boots was bright green. <laughs> And he'd come in there, and, of course, they sat there and dried the whole day. Spring training, workout, game, you know, whatever. Not game, but at the end of the workout, he saw him, see. And he, he looked at him, pretend like nothing even happened. And at the end of that day, he looked at him and thought, hmm, okay. And he put those things on and marched right out of there with those green, <laughs> those green cowboy boots. Now, see, he could have said, to hell with it. I'm putting my running shoes on or whatever and tried to duck it. But, see, he got credit. In the cow in kangaroo court for doing that, okay? you can't figure out how to get credit. It's very difficult to get credit in kangaroo court, but that's one way. Okay, so he he showed us something in war. You know, he wore those those green cowboy boots, right? Of course, there's fans. You know, big big bunch of fans are waiting out there. He's signing autographs and everything. Brand new pair of Justin lizard skin boots, nice and green. Michael I, can feel a, I can feel a malignant tumor growing in my ear right now because the cell phone that you, you've got me working on. I hear you. I, uh, Mike Lacoste, thank you so much for uh, uh, spending the hour with us. I mean, uh, I, I, it's called Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, and you sure as heck did that for me today, and, and I appreciate that. And uh, you're my first baseball player of many to come, and I thank you so very much. It was an honor, and I was proud to do it. Okay, well, we'll start getting your stuff up on the uh, iBaseball channel. Okay. Dot com. Okay. Start getting the. Uh, remember, you can go see all those featured stories and share those stories. And uh, we'll keep, keep our baseball community alive. All right. Thank you very much, sir. Appreciate it. Okay. Right on, Billy. Good talking right. to you. All right. Bye bye now.